abilities. A few years ago, my son had a car that he wanted to sell, and we'd never sold a car uh, before, and uh, it had been a long time, and he said, Dad, we can sell this online. I know we can. And so I said, well, why don't we ask someone who does this for some advice? And so we contacted them and asked them about that. Then they said, well, it's really important the pictures you take. Not only the pictures you take, but the angles you take those pictures and make sure you include everything in the pictures. So we did exactly what they said, and we sold the car. Uh, And that was a great success. Um, A few years later, my son, actually this fall, in one of his classes in college, um, they were doing some assessment work. Uh, for some of the dealers down in the Charlotte area. And these dealers would come on via video, and the students in that room would have to look at the ads for these cars that had not sold in the 21-day window. And the students who were in the 19 to 21-year-old range would tell the dealers, this is why your car is not sold. You didn't take it from this angle. You didn't display this properly. You didn't have this information. And what he discovered very quickly is that how you present something plays a huge factor in what other people think about it. We all know this, don't we? Every day of our lives, someone is trying to sell us something. They're displaying it online. They're displaying it in the store. They're displaying pictures for us, and it's got to look a certain way for us to show an interest. And our interests change over time, don't they? You would not picture something. uh, Your target market for 12 to 14-year-old girls is going to look very different than your target market for women who are 50 to 53. And the way you market something to 18 to 22-year-old guys is going to look very different to men in their 40s. This morning, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture in the book of Titus, in which Titus is given instruction by the Apostle Paul on how we should pay attention to what we look like or how we appear to other people. This morning, if you're new to CCC, if you're somewhere in your faith journey, if someone invited you here, offered you lunch to get you here, um, I'm glad you're here this morning because you're going to get an inside look at what God says your friends of faith should be like. And I hope you do a little evaluation of them as they are here, hopefully, with you this morning. Our series is entitled... um, Our series is entitled, The Book of Titus, Living Out Our Mission. And we talked a few weeks ago about our mission, and our mission is to lead people who are searching for something more into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. And the way that we see God calling us to do that is to move out into our community, to not just do that here in this building, but to mobilize and move out into our community, and then multiply the opportunities for influence that God is giving to us. You say, John, if our mission is to, if we're talking about living out our faith, and we're supposed to be going out, why have we not talked about going out yet? Because the first thing that Paul talked about to Titus is leaders. And he said they need to be people of character, compassion, and conviction. And then last week, we looked at the fact that there's dangerous people that are going to compromise the mission, that are going to put the mission at great risk, and these individuals need to be confronted and exposed. And the reason for that is Titus is learning that our actions, who we are, and the way that we live speaks louder than just our words. If you have your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 2. There's a Bible in the seat in front of you. If you don't have one of your own, take that one with you and mark this page and then look at it during the week sometime. Titus chapter 2, it's page 966. You can follow along on your phone or wireless device. The book of Titus is written by Paul to a guy named Titus who was going to a place called Crete. Crete is an island in the Mediterranean Sea. It's five miles long, 100 miles wide, five miles wide, 100 miles long. It's a Roman colony. It was basically people who lived there and survived by stealing. 
as pirates. Lots of sexual deviancy in the culture. Paul stopped there on one of his missionary trips to introduce these people to this person named Jesus, who they didn't even know. And many of them said, I believe in who he is. And they started to follow Jesus. Paul began to teach these individuals about what a relationship with Jesus was all about. But then he had to leave sudden. We don't really know why. And so he sends his protege, Titus, who's an intern, someone working with him, someone who Paul had introduced to Jesus. And Titus had come to follow Jesus with his whole life. And Paul said to Titus, like he did to everyone, follow me as I follow Christ. And so Paul sent Titus to Corinth on two different occasions, and Titus did his task very, very well. And so he said, now I've got a bigger task for you. I want you to go to this place called Crete, and I want you to finish what I've started finish what I've started. And this was a tough assignment. The people of Crete, as I talked to you last week, were literally barbaric people, liars, thieves. They only cared about themselves. And this young guy is tasked with helping them grow up in their faith and live it out in a culture and a place where many people did not care about that. And so Paul is writing to Titus, and in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. What is appropriate? The word appropriate is a medical term. It's actually referring to what you need to be healthy, what you need to be healthy. And when you think about a healthy diet, what do you think of? You think of fruits and vegetables and protein. Those are the things that you need to have a healthy diet. And Paul says to Titus, he says, you've got to teach what's healthy. You've got to teach in a balanced way. He says what's appropriate to sound doctrine. And when we think of sound doctrine, often our minds run to a bunch of thick books, right? With words that I can't really understand, but somebody tells me I have to read this so I can pass this class, so I will read it, you know. But that's not exactly what Paul is talking about. If you just read a book about fishing, but you never fished, would you know about fishing? Yes or no? No. No, because you didn't what? You didn't experience it, right? You had some head knowledge, but you didn't experience it. So would you fully understand? Not no, let me correct that. Would you fully understand fishing? No, you would not. In the same way, Paul's saying to Titus, you need a balanced approach. You need to have some truth. You need to have some truth, but that needs to be combined with practice. You need to read a book about fishing, and then you need to string a line, and then you need to put a hook on the line, and then you need to throw that hook in the lake, put some bait on it, and throw that hook in the lake, and then you need to figure out how to watch for that line to move, and then you need to know when to set that hook. And if you don't do all those things, you really don't understand fishing. Paul says, what I want you to do is I want you to teach in such a way that they will understand not only truth, but practice in their lives. And so Paul then goes through a list of four different categories of individuals. Uh, He says older men, older women, younger women, and younger men. Does anyone self-identify in any other category other than those four this morning? Okay, no hands. So that means everybody's going to hear something for them this morning. Everybody's going to hear something for them. And while we're going to look at this, there's a lot of words that we're going to say. I'm going to give each category one word. So whatever category you find yourself in, only one word. So the first group he's going to talk to is the old guys. The old guys. Um, how do you identify who the old guys are? Well, I saw one writer, he said, basically, if they've got a little bit of gray in their beard, then they're considered old guys. So I'm in that category. Um, that's how you know if you're an old guy. Um, um, but this is what he says to the old guys. He says, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. And so guys, if you are in that category of old guys, um, I'm going to give you one word, and it's this word, maturity. Maturity. It's maturity in life and maturity in faith. 
You know, when you think of a tree that's mature, its trunk is strong. It provides shelter. It might provide food. It's going to stand and endure over time. And so he talks about maturity, first of all, in life. He says, I want you to be temperate, which is simply to be sober-minded. You've got a clear head about you. This is the description for deacons and elders, the leaders in the church in Timothy and then later in Titus. He also says, I want you to be worthy of respect. Do other people respect you? Are you someone that just people dismiss? They're like, ah, he doesn't ever know what he's talking about. He just, he doesn't know. Do people seek you out for advice and counsel? And the last one is self-control. And I love this word. For me, it pictures the idea of restraint. Restraint. When I think of restraint, I always think of not just holding back, but I think of strength under control. And the image that comes to my mind when I think about it is a German shepherd that's a police dog. Very powerful animal. With one simple command, could take down a full-size grown man. And yet, with another command, restrains all that power and all that strength until it's appropriate for it to be released. So mature in life, but also mature in faith. He says they're sound in faith, meaning they know what they believe and they can trust God. They're sound in love, meaning they're committed to serving other people. They live a life not about themselves, not about people waiting on them, but about them serving others and sound in endurance. They don't give up. They stick with it. They're patiently waiting for God to show up and work. A few years ago, actually many years ago, nearly 25 years ago, I saw a description of what godly older guys are like. And I wasn't one at that time, but I thought, this is what they should be like. And I kept that in my desk, and I look at it on a regular basis. And I want to put it on the screen for you. It says, good qualities in older men. They don't whine or complain. They're positive, cheerful, and enthusiastic. They're intellectually alive and growing. They make their wives secure in their love. They're thankful for everything. They rejoice in and encourage the success of younger people. The old guys would be taking pictures of this, but they don't know how to use the cameras on their phones and their kids aren't here to help them. But there's more. Um, they've stepped away from positions of power and contented themselves in wisdom. They shamelessly wield the power of prayer. They're gentle. No one's afraid of them. And they are unafraid of See, old guys should be trusted, relied upon, approachable, wise, and discerning. And so if you fit in this category, I want you to say this word with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Maturity. Maturity. That's your word. So the next category is the older women. So those are women that have gray in their beard. No, that's not going to work. That's really not a good thing to say. I kept trying to find a way to help this group self-identify. Everything I thought of was going to get me into trouble. So I just decided I'm going to keep my mouth shut and let you determine if you fit into this category. Um, but it's very fascinating what Paul's instruction to Titus for the older, what he was supposed to teach the older women was on. Let's read what he says first. In verse 3, Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. First thing he says is, and so your word, ladies, if you are in this category, is self-control. I'll ask you to say it in a minute, so you're going to have to decide if you're in that category. It'll get real quiet in here, I'm afraid. Um, but um, first thing he says, I want you to be reverent in the way that you live. 
That's very similar to the instruction that Paul gave to the older men when he said, worthy of respect. He's, are you a respectable person? Someone that's kind of revered, someone that's looked to, someone that others are coming to for wisdom and counsel and advice in the way that you live. But then he has these two little phrases. He says, don't be a slander, don't run your mouth and talk bad about other people, and don't be addicted to alcohol. And you know, the truth is, if you drink too much alcohol, you're going to be running your mouth in a way that you shouldn't. So it makes sense for those two things to go together. You know, it really does. But he says this about older women. You know, this is who he's telling them. You got to stop messing around with this stuff. And I thought about it, really what I think Paul is saying, he's saying to the older ladies, he said, you need to manage your desires. You need to manage and control your desires. You're not raising kids at this point in your life, likely. You're not juggling multiple things. You have a little bit more freedom. You have a little bit more discretionary income. And he says, don't just take advantage and say, all that stuff I was putting on hold that I couldn't do now, I'm doing it now and I'm doing it in a big way. Paul says, that's not how you should be living your life. And he said, you also need to manage your tongue. He says, these are the things that are important for older ladies. And he closes with this phrase. He says, but to teach what is good. But to teach what is good. Instead of talking about others, you need to use your words to instruct and guide. And he's going to tell you how to do that, too, in just a moment. So your word is self control. On the count of three, anybody that self-identifies, you say this. One, two, three. Okay, that was pretty good. Not too bad. Not too bad. Kudos. This next group is the only group in these four categories that Paul does not tell Titus, this is what you should teach them. Very interesting. He tells Paul what to teach the old guys, what to teach the older ladies, what to teach the younger men, but he doesn't tell Titus who's likely a younger guy, how to instruct younger women. Maybe because he thinks he doesn't have credibility. Maybe they won't, he won't be believed. I'm not really sure. Not really sure. But he gives this instruction, not to Titus, but to the older women. He says, you are to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women, they is referring to the older women, to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Now, the first thing he says is he said, and so your word is the word priorities. So ladies, if you see yourself, and, and you can, I don't care who puts themselves in this category, you know, any lady can put themselves in this category. Um, if you see yourself, your word is priorities. Now, some of you younger ladies are thinking, well, you talk about someone who's married and they got kids at home. I'm, I'm just a teenager. That doesn't apply to me. But remember, in the time when the Bible was being written, it was part of the ancient Near East, and in that time, young girls, often at the age of 13 and 14, were already married. They were given in marriage at that time. So even if you say, it doesn't apply to me, there are some truths here that are important to you, even if that's not the situation of your life. First thing he says to the ladies is he says to the older ladies, urge the younger women. Now, we think of the word urge, we think of, hey, this would be a good idea, or you really should seriously consider. We think of using our words to do that. That's not what Paul means. This word has a lot more intensity. He literally says, you need to slap them and wake them up to reality is what you need to do. Like, why all the, why all the intensity? Why over the top? What in the world is going on? 
Well, what had happened is the Roman culture of that day, part of what Rome wanted to do is they wanted their culture in Rome to infiltrate all of the parts of the Roman Empire. And it had started to infiltrate Crete. The women of Crete had discovered a new morality. You see, instead of being doormats and marrying at a very young age and their husbands living in all kinds of extramarital affairs, the women decided it's about time for us to have a little bit of that action. So they were going to parties and banquets, getting tipsy, engaging in sexually with anyone they wanted. And Paul says to Titus, you've got to have a hard conversation and there needs to be a wake-up call. He says they've lost sight of their priorities. This is not a call to be barefoot and pregnant, not a call to be a doormat to the mistreatment and abuse at the hands of a demanding, self-absorbed spouse. That's not what Paul is talking about. But he says, in this season of your life, in this window of time, there are some priorities that you need to pay attention to. The first one is there's relational priorities, to love your husband and kids. You say, I don't have a husband and kids. Who are the relationships in your life? Paul says, pay attention to them. Again, he's not saying don't work. Many of you do. But he said you have to find a way in this season, this limited season, to pay attention to this priority. The second one is a character priority, to be self-controlled, to restrain, restrain and focus your passion, to be pure in heart in your lifestyle and sexually. And third, in your activities. He said to be busy at home. There's lots of places to be busy. You can busy at the gym. You can busy with your kids at school. You can busy with your workplace. You can busy in your community. There's lots of places to be busy. And Paul says, older ladies, you have to help the younger ladies understand there's a priority in this season of their lives. Don't miss that priority. And to be kind, good, and gracious, which is true of many, if not all of you. And he gives one final instruction. He says, and be subject to your husbands. There's that grating word, be subject. It's not grit your teeth and suck it up. The illustration I often use is a tug of war. And in relationships with the husband and wife, the husband's on one side, the wife's on the other side, and they're tugging, they're pulling back and forth, and the husband's a little stronger, so he pulls. And so she lets go of the rope, and she's like, all right, do whatever you want. And I'm going to be standing right here when you fall flat on your face, you know. That's not what the idea of submit. It's also not him forcing her into things that she does not, by her own will and volition, agree to. What submit means is that she drops the rope and she says, this time we're going to go with your idea and gets on his side and they pull together. Paul in other places says to the, to the man, he says, there are times you drop your side of the rope and you come behind her and you pull together. That's what the idea of submit is. It means you are working together with one another to accomplish a common goal. And he ends with this statement, and I'm still puzzled. I'm still trying to wrap my mind why he puts this right at the end of instructions to younger women. But he says, so that no one will malign the Word of God. He's basically saying to the younger ladies, if you don't pay attention to your priorities, people are going to take this truth and they're going to trash it and say it's not worth it. It doesn't work. It's outdated. It doesn't fit in this age, this culture. It was in a male-dominated society. It's bigoted. It's sexist. It doesn't work. So older ladies, he says to you, you have an additional assignment, and that's to pour into, to engage in the lives of younger women. You say, well, why isn't the church doing something for us to do that? This isn't instructions for the church. 
This is instructions for you if you're a Christ follower. If you're in this season of life, you have the time and the space to tap a younger woman on the shoulder and say, hey, can we go have coffee together? And tell her that she's being a great mom because she doesn't hear that hardly enough. Remind her that she's in this limited season of life. And if you're a younger mom, you say to her, what would you tell a younger version of you about motherhood right now? What would you say? So younger woman, women, here's your word. If this is you, I want you to say it with me on the count of three. One, two, three. Priorities, priorities. One last group, the young guys. One last group, the young guys. And so what does Paul have to say to Titus to tell the young guys? One word, self-control. Self-control, that's it. No other words, no other statements. Self-control. But when you think about young guys, it fits. He wants you to be self-controlled sexually. That's no sex before marriage. That's quit looking at porn. He wants you to be self-controlled with your tongue. No trashing and bad-mouthing your boss or your coworkers or people behind their back. He wants you to be self-controlled in your spending, not thinking about what's my next purchase going to be, my next upgrade, my next new thing. He wants you to restrain, exercise restraint and save and plan. He wants you to be self-controlled with your hobbies. You know what I watch happen? I watch women take care of the kids in the home. And what do the husbands do? They just spend more money on their hobbies, their hunting hobbies, their driving hobbies, their gaming hobbies, you name it. Paul says, I want you to be self-controlled with your hobbies. He says, I want you to be self-controlled with your temper. If anger gets a hold of you and you do, you have an anger problem, you need to face it and get help. Don't try to stuff it. Don't try to bottle it because it's going to explode against the people that you love the most and may cost you dearly. He said, I want you to be self-controlled with your ambition. It's not about the next job, the next raise, the next increase. I want you to be self-controlled with your ambition. He said, I want you to be self-controlled relationally. And I want you to love and treat people with dignity and honor and respect, whether it's a woman you're dating or not, that you treat all of them not as an object, not toying with their emotions, but with courage and loving them well. And so young guys... If you see yourself in this category, you have one word, and that's the word self-controlled. So I want you to say it with me. Here we go. One, two, three. Paul then goes on, and he gives Titus some instructions. He says, in everything, set them as an example by doing what is good. He says, you're an example. You're an example. Other people see you. And they watch. He said, you need to be an example in your teaching that it has integrity. That means it's substantive, that it's serious, that it's sound of speech. And he gives another reason. Here's another one of those reasons. Those who oppose you may, not be, may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about you. Think about what it would be like to have that kind of character and reputation, that the people in your world, in your family, in your home, in your community, on your sports team, in your classes, in your clubs at school, in your factory, in your office, that's part of your clientele. They don't have anything bad to say about you. And he wraps up this section with one more group, one more category, slaves. Now, we talked about this a few weeks ago. If you weren't here with us, I encourage you to go back and listen. Um, but we use the word employees for that. 
And he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. Try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. So that in every way they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. And so the word for you today, if you are an employee, is trustworthy. Is trustworthy. And he said, you need to be trustworthy in how you speak in your job. How much stuff happens on the job when words are said that should not be said. He said, you need to be trustworthy in how you handle resources. You do not take things that have not been granted to you that you just assume you're entitled to. And you need to be trustworthy with everything. Just like Joseph was in the Old Testament. Potiphar, his boss, trusted him with everything, even his own wife. And so if you are an employee, if you work for someone, let's say this word together. One, two, three. Trustworthy. Trustworthy. But then he talks about why this is so important. Why is it so important for old guys to be mature? Why is it so important for older women to be self-controlled? Why is it so important for younger women to have their priorities in the right place? Why is it so important for young guys to have self-control? Why is it so important for you to be trusted as an employee? Because of this. In every way, they will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Paul says, when you choose to live this way, when you choose to act this way, when you choose to respond in this way, the gospel, the message of hope and life that you would love for your coworkers, you would love for your family to understand how valuable this is to you, how important, how it's changed your life. The way that happens is not you pounding this down their throats. The way it happens is when the way that you live makes this attractive. I saw that word. I was struck by that word. The gospel becomes attractive. People are drawn to Jesus. People are searching, are drawn to Jesus. People are looking for something more, are drawn to Jesus. Why? Because John stood up and preached a great sermon? No, because you were attractive. And they said, tell me more. I want to know more. How do you handle these situations? How do you live in this way? Paul has not even told us what we're supposed to go and do yet. He's still talking about how we're supposed to live. If you found the girl that you thought was the girl of your dreams, and uh, you decided you were going to go find a ring for her, and so you were going to go find the diamond of choice, guys, you probably would not go to a pile like this, would you? You should say no, guys. That's what you should say. No, John, I would not go to a pile like that. Absolutely what you should say. Why? Because it's just a pile of rocks. You would go to something that looked like this. You're like, I would never go to that, John. I couldn't afford something that big. You know? So the guys are all thinking, um, what happens when a rock like this, which these are all diamonds, by the way, when it's cut and it's shaped and it's polished, it becomes what? Incredibly, incredibly attractive. Why does Paul say, old guys, you should not be complaining and whining because the gospel that you preach is not attractive? Why does God say, why does Paul say the older women should not gossip and have their fill in the blank every night just to make her survive? Because their gospel is not attractive. 
Why does Paul say to the younger women whose lives are swamped and they just have to go out at night on the town to survive? No one is attracted to their gospel. Why does Paul say to the young guys with lots of toys, you're going to have lots of friends, but no one is going to be attracted to your gospel? Why does Paul say to you that your coworker, that when you trash your coworker behind your boss, behind their back or behind the boss's back, no one is going to be attracted to their gospel? See, you may feel a little bit like this right now. As I talked this morning and you identified where you were and you heard me use some words or descriptions, you might have thought, man, that is not me. You know what? That's pretty awesome. You say, what do you mean awesome? It's not awesome. It's not good. It's not good. But you acknowledging that is the first step towards God changing and transforming your life for you to be like this. You see, the only way this gospel, the only way our lives are attractive is when we face the truth about who we are. We face our sinfulness. We face our brokenness. We face our pain. And we let the message of the gospel, the hope of the gospel that's designed to redeem and rescue and transform, change us. And so then in a way we can't fully describe, people who want nothing to do with the gospel want something to do with us and eventually with our Savior named Jesus. So how are you being displayed? How are you being displayed? Someone who's attractive for the gospel, who is discarded with little value. Bow your heads with me as we close in prayer. God, it's somewhat surprising to us that you really don't spend a lot of time telling us that we've got to have all the right words and know all the right truth. And those things are important. But you say it's our lives. It's our lives. When we live this way, and then the truth about you, the truth about Jesus, the truth about the gospel that transform us becomes attractive. And God, I want people that I know, I want my neighbors, I want my friends who don't know Jesus. Man, God, I would love to have them know you, be sitting here with me and be able to spend eternity together with them. And Lord, I hope that as we walk away this morning, we walked away challenged and stirred. We walked away reflecting on our lives. We walked away maybe celebrating some things that are true of us. And we can thank God for the work that he's done. And we say, God, but I want more of this to be true. I want my life to be attractive for you. God, the truth is we cannot do that on our own. We need your help. And we need you. In your name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, it's been great to have you here in spite of the weather that's gotten really bad outside. Anybody see the sunrise this morning? Anybody see that awesome sunrise? Um, anybody see the rainbow this morning? There was a rainbow this morning. If you didn't see it, go to my Facebook page. You can see awesome pictures, the sunrise and rainbow this morning.
It's been great to have you here with us this morning. Uh, We look forward to hearing how God is at work helping you to live out your faith throughout this week. Have a great day, everybody. We'll see you next Sunday.